Mr. Paul. Wow, 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 wow. Oh, well, I love the worship. I could have sat there for a while. I'm amazed I didn't have to run for the tissues, though my sleeves aren't very nice. <laughs> it's a good thing about a beard. You sort of just wipe the tears down into your beard like that and then soaks it all up. Anyway. Uh, last week I talked about being vulnerable um, and that we really there's a need, a need within us all to be vulnerable and if we're going to be in right relationship with each other then we need to be vulnerable with each other and vulnerable with God. Uh, and I talked about that being vulnerable brings you to a place of shame and doubt and confusion and yet by placing all of that on the table with each other and becoming vulnerable, we actually bring ourselves to a place where in that, in that place of honesty and safety we can experience the true relationship and what God had designed for us. Yeah. And until you and I can be honest with Daddy, with Papa, with God and with each other, um, I'd suggest that we won't actually experience the abundant life that he talks about in Scripture. Um, I was at, uh, I was with the Churches, Churches of Christ conference yesterday in Fairfield and I was asked by the ex-principal of Stirling um, Bible College, uh, where do I see the church in five years? You know, what's, what's the goal? And I, I found that to be a really interesting question for a couple of reasons. Uh, because to look past 12 months these days is ludicrous because society and community changes so quickly. A five-year plan never eventuates because it's, you really got to plan within a two-year period. But the reason I found it an interesting question because what we discussed was that, and I only use this as comparison, yeah, that some churches, their goal is their building program and they're known for their building program. And some churches are known... Um, for their mission outreach and what they do there. Uh, some churches are known because they've got a phenomenal you know, kids program. That's their goal. And so Meryl asked me again, so what's the goal for Mount Clear? And my answer was, and we sang, for me we sang it this morning, our vision is to engage with our God, his church and his people, the wider community. So my goal and our goal as a church is to be a church that lives in its original design, that's authentic with one another, with our relationship with God and with each other, so that when people walk in off the street, they don't say, wow, what an awesome mission outreach you've got. What they say about us is, I, I met God there. I encountered God and experienced God in a way that I now know him. What's our goal for five years? Meryl, now this is our goal for not just five years, but 10 years and 15 years, because this won't shift or change. Our goal is to engage with our God so that every person that walks through the door experiences, encounters, and falls in love with God the way that they were designed to. Amen? But for that to happen, you and I have got to bring ourselves to a place of vulnerability. For them to discover a people living in original design as sons and daughters of God in family the way that he intended, we need to be vulnerable with one another. And that means sometimes we air our dirty laundry with God and sometimes we air our dirty laundry with one another, not for the sake of shaming ourselves, but so that each and every one of us can understand who we are. And when people come in and go, man, I can't believe that sense of family, that camaraderie, how is that possible? Because we're being vulnerable and we're engaging with God, his church, and now his community will discover him. Amen? So I want to pray because I want to continue to talk about that. Facing and embracing our vulnerability might be difficult, but it's the key for you and I to be whole. Full stop. You know, And any healthy family, any healthy family, you'll find there is complete vulnerability. They talk around the table about everything. They share everything. There's nothing hidden, and it's healthy. Sometimes it's tough, but it's healthy. So let's just pray. Father, we thank you because you're a glorious God. And Lord, I thank you that you give us clues, 
in the Bible. Father, that you show us in your word how we're supposed to live. Lord, that you demonstrate to us all that you have for us. And so, God, when we read your promises, they're not out there in a place that needs to be reached. God, they're there, given, placed in our hands. And so, Father, this day we glorify you. Lord, we pray, Lord, that if there's any obstacles, any thoughts, any negativity, any, any walls, any, any stuff from the week that may stop us hearing what you want to say to us this day, Father, I pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit, that your blood now would take care of that, that you would remove that wall, that you would wash away that thought, that you would bring us to a place where we're open to receive from you. That, Father, we would not only receive from you, but we would be refreshed by you. Not only refreshed, but restored. Not only restored, but made brand new. Father, not just made brand new, but that we would come to the realisation, the reality that we are your sons and your daughters, that we are family that you love us dearly. And Father, even as Mel shared this morning, that we are seen by you. So Father, we say, have your way today. Have your way in Jesus' name. And all these people said, amen. Okay, here we go. Everyone ready? I hope the adults are going to be louder than the children. I'm just putting it out there, yeah? Like... I know the kids are going amen in the spirit, but I want to hear it from a couple of adults every once in a while, if that's okay. If the person next to you snores, elbow them. If they're saying, you know, that's good under their breath, maybe just punch them in the ribs so the air flows out of their mouth. It's good to have some fun in church. It's good to affirm what God's speaking in your heart, amen? Now, we think that, and this is a... Open generalisation. Because in life we've been hurt. We've all been hurt somewhere. We've all shared something in confidence and it's come back. We've all told someone, well most of us, maybe just me, has told someone that we love them not to hear it in return. You know, life has a a, a really unusual way of sucker punching us, doesn't it? Of bringing us to the place where I don't want to share anything anymore because I'm just going to get hurt again and again and again. Anyone ever been hurt before? Yeah, of course, most of us. And so we come up with the solution, you know. For those of us that are old enough to remember Get Smart, subconsciously we have these, these walls that the moment we're hurt, they go chink, 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 and it's like we're safe. And every step I take opens the next door, but there's the next door's closed, yeah? And so what we decide to do within ourselves, in our subconscious, is this. I am never going to be vulnerable again. There's no way on this side of blue earth until pigs fly backwards in winter that I'm going to share anything with anybody because it's going to come back to bite me. And, we, and, and that's an automatic response. And if you've been hurt enough, it's not just automatic. You're actually, now you're actually physically deciding it yourself. But God asks us to be vulnerable all the time with him and, and with each other. And when God asks us to do that, the very thing that we think will be the worst for us, he points to and says that's the best for us. And the gospel message, everything that we read in this book, yeah, regardless of version, regardless of whether you've got tabs or no tabs, red letter or no red letter, whether you, your Bible goes all the way through to the book of maps or not, you know, when we, when we read this book, the entire gospel talks about vulnerability. From start to finish, for me, it talks about us being vulnerable. And the Christian, I mean, we're coming up to Christmas. We talked about decorating the Christmas tree, which is awesome because the, Christ, the Christian church celebrates two main events. We celebrate Christmas, Christ's birth, and we celebrate Easter, the death and resurrection, don't we? Now, for me, both of those moments are moments of vulnerability. Both of those moments are moments where God is showing how vulnerable he is. Think about the first one. Think about Christmas. We're going to celebrate Christmas, right? And we're going to celebrate with family. We're going to have food. We're going to sing carols. We're overawed and and, and we're joyous because the Saviour has been born. The Saviour has come into the world as a baby. As a baby. Not even... A man, 
when we celebrate Christmas as a baby. It wasn't like God blinked his eyes or clicked his fingers or there wasn't, there wasn't some Star Trek laser beam and a man appeared. God came as a baby, like a little baby. That's got huge implications. Why, why did God send a baby? Like it's really, when you think about it, what was the idea behind that? Why couldn't he have just sent Jesus, even at 30, to walk around for three years, be a carpenter for three years, and then jump into his ministry, at, you know, to do all of that? Why didn't he do that? But no, he, he sends a baby. Because I think for me, he was saying, here's the starting point. Here's the starting point. I, I'm going to make a way for you, my creation, to come back to me. And here's the starting point. The starting point of restoring the relationship with you and I. Now, for those that know Tim Keller, here's one of his quotes about Christmas. He says, In the gift of Christmas, the unassailable, omnipotent God became a baby, giving us the ultimate example of letting down our defences. Yeah? The ultimate example of letting down our defences. Everything about Christmas is vulnerability. See, when God became a baby, he became vulnerable. Now, I know that the religious within us is going, God's not vulnerable. He's God. Well, he is. But can a baby feed itself? Can a baby wash itself? Hmm. Can a baby ask for things? Can it articulate what it needs? There's lots of no's. Can a baby get from point A to point B? Can a baby wipe its bottom after it's done a poop? Can a baby clean up its vomit after it's projectiled everywhere? No, it can't. Can a baby change its own clothes? No. Baby can do nothing for itself, can it? It's completely at the mercy of those around it. A baby's vulnerable. God, baby God, born on that Christmas morn, is completely vulnerable. And, and, and it's that moment in time that God drops his shield, yeah? He opens those get smart doors. He doesn't hide behind the I am God. He becomes vulnerable as a baby. God drops all his shields. In fact, what a costly act of redemption. In fact, what a risk he took for our life, yeah? Yeah? What a risk he took for our life. If you've got your Bibles, turn to John chapter 12. See if we can join some dots. So John chapter 12, I'm going to read from verse 1 to verse 3. And it reads, Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honour. Martha served. We already know that Martha served because earlier was when Mary was sitting at his feet and Martha complained. And Jesus said to, to Martha that Mary was doing the better thing, yeah, by sitting at his feet. So Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. See, Mary anoints Jesus' feet with perfume at a dinner party in front of all the other guests. And the scripture says the house was filled with the fragrance. Then she wipes Jesus' dirty feet with her hair and people start having a go at her. How could she have done that? How could you spend that money? You know, Judas, that money was for that. 
So if Judas is physically, verbally articulating his heart, there are others there that I want to suggest are probably thinking, what the heck is she doing? What is Mary doing? But see, what Mary was doing at that, at that point was she was being vulnerable. Yeah? At that place when she started to wash his feet with her hair, she was completely open to ridicule and shame. But in that place of ridicule and shame, there was a fragrance that was released that everyone smelled. Why do we know when we've encountered a man or woman of God? Because there's a fragrance about them. And I, I'd suggest that they are exceptionally vulnerable before their Lord. Yeah? But so here Mary is being vulnerable. And it's a vulnerability that brings a fragrance, a perfume. And it's so beautiful that everyone around it notices it. And she washes his feet. And as she washes his feet, that act is saying, Lord, I'm broken. Lord, I need you. Her act is speaking volumes from her heart. The others can't see. The others are thinking, why did you waste the money? What are you doing that for? You're making a fool of yourself. At least pick up a towel. We're not that poor. But for her, her vulnerability, it didn't matter who saw her. It didn't matter what others thought. Her pride no longer mattered to Mary. No perceived shame was too great. All she knew is that she needed a saviour. And all she knew is that Jesus was the answer. And she at that place laid down her life. It was no longer about her. It was all about him. Now God calls us to be this vulnerable all the time. You know, I love the Psalms because right through the Psalms we read about David's vulnerability. Desperate cries for help that say, I need you, Lord, you know. Psalm 130, verse 1. From the depths of despair, O Lord, I call for your help. Psalm 77, 3. I think, O God, and I moan, overwhelmed with longing for his help. Psalm 69, 14. Rescue me from the mud. Don't let me sink any deeper. Save me from those who hate me and pull me from those deep rivers. Psalm 42.5, the beginning of it says, Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? And it goes on and on and on and on. See, David and Mary knew the secret to living an abundant life was about being vulnerable. Vulnerable to God and vulnerable to those around them. Yeah? Mary, at the, in the one act, was vulnerable to God, with God, and vulnerable to those around her. David and Mary knew that there's something in being transparent. There's something in being vulnerable. There's something in letting down your guard. You know, earlier I said that God became vulnerable when he became a baby. A baby can't clean up its mess. It can't clean up its vomit. It just can't. A baby can't clean up its poo. And if you ever saw some of my kids, oh my goodness. Wow. I wish they could. It needs someone to do it on their behalf. It needs someone to do it on their behalf. See, with a baby, what you see is what you get. It's not hiding anything. It's completely transparent. And God sends a baby to say, here is my answer for the world. Here is my answer to come back into relationship with me, a vulnerable baby. We need to live our lives so vulnerable that what you see is what you get, yeah? What you see is what you get, the whole transparent package. Because you and I, we can't clean up all the messes in our lives ourselves. Because sometimes it feels like life has vomited all over us. Anyone ever been there? Yeah? And we can't clean it up ourselves. We can't clean up the poo. Can I say this here? Sometimes we can't clean up the crap in our life, the stuff, the poo. And we need somebody's help. And there's one that can. His name's Jesus. We've got to be transparent with him. 
No good going to God and telling him life's all good and then making the same mistakes over and over. It's no good telling God that life's so bad and then keeping a secret between you and him. But you need to bring yourself to a place of vulnerability where you are teachable and you can learn, where we can learn and change. Because God wants to get in there and heal and restore and make brand new. Now, like Mary and like David, we need to pour it out at his feet, yeah? If we really want a relationship, this, this, is, this is the beauty of Christianity. It's our choice. You decide what type of relationship you have with Jesus. So you can have a flat out, sold out, I love you, God. He works through you, talks to you. It's like, wow. Or you can have a relationship where I know God and occasionally I'll sit down and talk, but it's all pretty quiet and serene and you've still got a relationship. But hey, God's already put everything in. He can't put anything more in, but we can put more in. We can make an effort, not because we, for the better relationship, because we've already got everything he can give us, but what you put in is what you're going to get. If you're not happy with what you've got, then we need to make a change. Maybe it starts in that place of vulnerability, saying, honestly, God, you know, I want a better relationship than this. And when we pour it out at his feet, that vulnerability leaves a fragrance to everyone around us. A fragrance to everyone around us. And it can be hard. I know it, it can be hard to be vulnerable because when we're vulnerable, we look and feel broken. We do. When I speak to, if I'm speaking to one of my mentors, or I'm really sharing with my wife or even with the Lord, sometimes I feel like, oh my goodness, all I feel like I'm doing is just regurgitating all my yuck, you know? And some of it's really, it can be shameful. All of us have things in our lives, I want to suggest that, hey, we've kept a secret from those around us because there's some shame attached to it. But you know what? The enemy uses that to keep us where we are, to stop us going to where we should be, yeah? But it's in that place of brokenness. That's where strength is. That's where power is. The baby was vulnerable. Baby Jesus was vulnerable. But in that package, what power? Yeah? What healing, what restoration, what plan, what purpose in that vulnerable little package, baby Jesus. Now, 2 Corinthians 12, 9, if you've got your Bibles. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. Friends, if we don't share our weaknesses, let's look at it this way. If in sharing our weaknesses, the power of Christ works through us, you answer the question yourself. What happens when we don't share our weaknesses? Mary knew that. David knew that. They knew that a true relationship with Daddy, with Papa, starts with us being vulnerable in the same way that Babies are so vulnerable with its parents that it is, they are completely reliant on somebody else for their life. Yeah? Not just their sustenance, not just their washing, for their life. We need to bring ourselves to a place with each other and with God that we are reliant upon Him with our spiritual life. We can't control our spiritual life. Yeah, But when we lay down our stuff, he then builds in us and he does it. He builds a spiritual man. It's him, not us. We can spend time with him. We can hang with him. But he does it all. From the moment that he died on the cross and rose from the grave, we're sons and daughters. There's nothing that we can do. He does it all. Yeah, We've just got to let him get rid of the stuff that's in the way. Need to be vulnerable. You know, David and Mary knew that no friend, no doctor, no medication could fill the deepest longings of their hearts. So they cried out to God. They cried out to Daddy. We need to learn that same lesson. Somehow we need to learn that same lesson. We need to learn that he meets us right there in our place of deepest emptiness. You know, this morning that song, um, I don't know if you can get the words, Ash, but you know the one, He's Our Hope? Uh, and the one that says, he's our love and he finds us. 
I'm not going to get the verses exactly, but it'll be up there. And that's the one. That'll do. Your name is life. Your name is hope. Inside me, hope inside me. Jesus is our hope, yeah? And so every time we bring ourselves to that place of transparency, every time we bring ourselves to that place of vulnerability, there's a hope inside me. There's a saviour inside me. There's a God inside me that will restore me no matter how vulnerable I'm feeling. Because he's there. And the next line, Ash, your name is love. A love that always finds me no matter how you feel in that place of vulnerability and honesty, no matter what you're going through, when you bring yourself to that place and you're prepared to put it on the table, there's a love that will meet you in that place. And though you feel like you're never going to get through, it envelops you in such a way that you come out more like him. Yeah? Tainted by him. So he gives us his strength in place of our weakness. He gives us his love in place of our selfishness, doesn't he? He gives us his joy in place of our despair. He gives us his hope in place of our hopelessness. It's God's nature to give because he's love. So that's why being vulnerable feels like the worst thing, but it's really the best thing. And we discover our complete and utter reliance on God in that place. Completely. Christmas tells us that God became vulnerable. He became breakable. That baby was breakable. Yeah? Wasn't Superman that came from the planet Krypton when the spaceship opened and he was indestructible. He was breakable and he was fragile. He was vulnerable. God became someone we could hurt. And he did all that to get us back. All that to get us back. Put himself in a place where he could get hurt to get us back. If we can understand this, not only will our relationship with the Father excel, but, but it'll teach us and allow us to let down our defences in our own relationships with each other, with those around us. See, we won't need to guard our honour. We won't need to. We'll be able to let down our barriers and our shields, our Maxwell smart walls. Because in it all, we understand that we may get hurt and, and, and we may feel fragile and, and we may feel like we're going to break, but God took that risk for us and we need to take it too. If we want to experience the type of relationship with God and each other that he intended, then we need to do that too. And, and it's right here in this place. It's in, it's in this place where true fellowship and communion happens. This is where you discover family. True family, real family in this place of openness, honesty, vulnerability. Now we can have an intimate relationship with each other because we finally understand each other. Now if I know you, I mean really know you, I can never be offended by you and vice versa. I'll give you an example. I shared this yesterday when I was, when I was with um, Meryl. So I, I gave her a snapshot of my past. So in the first four years of my high school, some people may know this story, some may not. I went to school where there was, I don't know, it felt like about 320 kids. There was probably about 20 ethnics, 300 strapping Australian boys because it was an all-boys school. And so I was one of the token ethnics, yeah? And for the first four years of my high school, I reckon I was in a fight every second day. Every second day, I would have a group that would come and it would be all on. It could be in a stairwell, it could be outside of a classroom, it would be all on. And I'd always be taking on three or four different people because of my nationality. Now, because of that, for those that know that, when people come to me and I'm being attacked, it could be verbally by three or four people, my first, inc- my first reaction, hear me, because of something I've experienced in the past, is to do this. Really? Come on. You want to have a go? Let's see how... Let's see how well you do here. Because it's, it's, it's inside of me. So part of me being vulnerable with the Lord is talking about that stuff and seeing what else is compounded within me to react in that way. Because when things start to come against me, I default to that reaction, which began all the way back in high school in year 7, 8 and 9. 
So with God, I become vulnerable so he can do a healing. But if I share that with you, then when things, things are happening with us and, and I react in a particular way, you won't take offence because inside you think, you know what, I know why he's reacting like that. He actually doesn't mean it that way. Do you understand what I'm saying? So each and every one of us has a responsibility to share with each other where your journey in life has taken you, yeah? Because as we understand each other, we can never be offended by each other. I, I often share in, in my office and someone will say, this person said this. I always ask this question, who's the person? Because for me, I need to know who they are to understand where they've come from, what they've been through to fully understand what they're saying. Because then I can address it. Does that make any sense? So we've got to be vulnerable with each other if we truly want to live out what God has destined and desired and purposed for us to live. Amen? So look to the person next to you and say, what deep, dark secrets have you got? Look to the person on the other side. And tell them if Pastor Andrew knew that, you wouldn't be allowed here. <laughs> it's a place where we now understand each other. But we have to be vulnerable. We have to break open that jar. We need to come to the feet of Jesus and wash his feet. We need to be like David and cry out. And we need to be vulnerable enough that, you know what, it was a really difficult time in my life or I did this and it was a bit shameful, but I'm, I'm working through it with God. And as people understand what you've been through, I'm telling you, there's something that occurs in your relationship together. There's a bonding that happens. There's a coming together that happens that you can never be ripped apart. You know, it's in that place of vulnerability that our hearts melt with compassion and love when we encounter each other. You know, but it's a scary place. It's really a scary place. Living in that place leaves us vulnerable. You know, I shared last week, no person wants to share stuff that they're going through or struggling with. You know, you don't want to share your addictions and, and stuff like that. And there needs to be some wisdom in it. But as you release that, as you bring the darkness to the light, as you release things with the Lord, he starts to deal with things. And as you release them with each other, there's an understanding because then the family can start to work, come around and care for each other. Amen? It's a true laying down of our lives. It's a true laying down of us. So because God doesn't want to expose us to shame us. He wants our hearts exposed so he can heal us. Now, for me, this scripture makes more sense because it captures the true essence of vulnerability in John 12, verse 24. John 12, verse 24 and 25 reads, Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it. Anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. I know that it's Jesus talking about his death. I know that, yeah? But go with me for a minute. I want to suggest that he's also talking about gospel living. He's also talking about the example that Jesus was when he came as a baby. He's talking about living life out, yeah? He's talking about living life out. He's talking about a life where we make ourselves vulnerable to God and others. He's saying that the true fulfillment within doesn't come the way we think it does. It comes through sacrificing ourselves to one another. It comes through being vulnerable even to those who reject us. It comes through pouring out ourselves for others and trusting God to fill us back up. Yeah? So what did Christmas, what does it give us? It gives us his vulnerability so that we can experience intimacy with him. The more vulnerable you are with God, the more intimate you will be with him. The more vulnerable I am with my wife, the more intimate our relationship will be. And now that vulnerability allows us to be intimate with the people around us, our family, to engage with our God, his church. And when we nail that, his people, the community, because that's what they'll discover. And from that place, yeah, it's from that place that the, that the good mission program will come. It's from that place that the great evangelistic outcome will, you know, will, will, will present itself. It's from that place of authenticity that the great kids' church and whatever else it might be will all stem and grow and come forth from that. But our core never changes. It's engage with God and his, and his people, us, 
invulnerability, honesty. Now we can love God and love people. And we can love one another as he's loved us. So we need to get this in our spirits. Vulnerability is the key to our relationships with each other. That's why it says in James 5.16, you're going to love this. James 5.16, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. That's good, isn't it? It's okay. Now, watch this, the same verse in the Message Bible. Let's just flesh this out a little bit. Yeah? Make this your common practice. Confess your sins to each other. I'm going to say be vulnerable with each other and pray for each other so that you can live together, 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 whole and healed. We can live together. I want to, I want to suggest that the reason why so many within the Christian church all over the nation, all over the world. So why there's so many people that are fighting is because they've never brought themselves to a place of vulnerability with each other. They've never confessed their sins one with another. So nobody understands who the other person is. They take offence and when offence sets in, it's all over, Red Rover. I love it. What a gr- the mark of a Christian is vulnerability. And, and the, other, the other calendar event is the death and resurrection. See, Christmas is about how we live out, live out our life with God and others. It's about being vulnerable that leads to intimacy with God and with others. But Easter, Easter is about how we live out our faith. It's a vulnerability to live out your faith. The baby came to say, this is how you've got to live life, vulnerably. But, but the, the cross and the resurrection is now, now you need to live out your faith. Now that I've come, now that you've accepted me, there's something more. So at Easter, Daddy shows us to be vulnerable and how to be vulnerable to glorify his name. And for you and I to, to really experience all that God purpose and plan and designed for us, we need to live and practice both sides of this vulnerability. We need to, to live and practice the Christmas vulnerability and we need to live and practice the Easter vulnerability. See, everything that, that Papa's done is to bring his creation, us back into right relationship with him. And Christmas is to show us how to be in relationship. Easter's to show us how to help others come into that relationship. So last week I shared that God sends his son to die on a cross, yeah? I shared that last week. And I shared that through that act he deals with any and all of our sin in our lives forever, yeah? Amen? I also shared that that one act, Jesus shows God to be vulnerable because God's about to die on a cross. He places God-man on a cross to die. So vulnerable in that one act that he was mocked, he was ridiculed. So vulnerable in that one act that he was beaten, bruised, spat upon, shamed. And I said it before, I'll say it again, vulnerability hurts. It can hurt and it hurts. Yet it's that moment moment of vulnerability and shame that the world looks at and will look at forever as a defining victory, doesn't it? It's a place of great faith. So the cross is faith in action. You think about it for a minute. Imagine the faith that Jesus, who is fully God yet fully man. Yeah? Fully God and yet fully man. Vulnerable. Shield down. Imagine the faith that he needed to think, I'm about to be killed. And then after I'm dead, dead. Beep. Flatlined. I'm being at earth. Raised from the dead. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know how, completely how the spiritual world works, but living as a physical man, I'd be frightened that I was dead and not able to press the button to bring me back to life. Do you understand what I'm saying? It took faith. It took the God-man faith in God-Father to be able to raise him from the dead, a real faith. It was a faith where he was prepared to be shamed on the cross and ridiculed and mocked on the cross for the faith of raising from the dead into you know, the, the whole glorious ascension, the whole life that we could live. It's huge faith. So for me, to be vulnerable takes faith. And the Bible says that faith without works is dead. James 2.26 says, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. See, last week I said that we are called and we need to take up our cross daily. 
The cross is a sign of vulnerability, yeah? On one side of the cross is the empty tomb. On one side of the cross has power and victory. One side of the cross, the other side has shame. The other side has fear. The other side has no working faith. But one side has the risen saviour. See, faith starts at at the cross. Faith actually starts at the cross. Jesus needed faith before he stepped on the cross. He needed faith in his vulnerable moment to know that he was going to be alive again. See, often we read faith without works is dead. Some versions even say deeds. Deeds without uh, works is dead. But today, I think for many, deeds is all we do. I think for a lot of us, deeds is all we do. And many of those deeds don't need any faith at all. Anyone know what I'm talking about? See, faith without works looks like this. See, I think faith without works is dead means that faith has a work that is alive. It's alive, it's vibrant, yeah? So faith without works looks like this. It looks like Peter jumping out of a boat in Matthew 14 and John 21 and he walks on water. Faith without works also looks like he sank and Jesus had to save him. Yeah? And he put himself in a position where if I know fishermen and I know my brother, I reckon they would have had a few words to Peter. You know? Some would have said, high five, you walked on water. And a couple of others would have said, dude, what's wrong with you? Even the master said, you of little faith. You nearly drowned. You banana. Or is that just the world that I live in with my family and my, my, my brother and my friends? Or is it just Australian culture that we have a dig at one another? I, I just imagine that this group of hardened fishermen and tax collectors and everything else, I reckon a couple of them just poked Peter a couple of times and said, dude, you thought you were so good when you were walking on water, but then when you were drowning, man, we were laughing so hard. You know, I just reckon, I'm embellishing, yeah? You're not going to find it in here, but it's just a thought. That faith without works puts you in a position where you can be shamed and ridiculed if it doesn't come off. But when it does, God's glorified. But unless you put yourself on the cross, you'll never sink, so to speak, if you know what I'm saying. Faith without works looks like the disciples bringing a man to Jesus in Matthew 17, saying, we prayed, but we couldn't deliver him. And so Jesus prays, and it's done. They stepped out in faith. They put themselves on the cross of shame, yeah? And they were ridiculed and people would have said, man, you guys are hopeless. Your master can do it, but you can't. What's wrong with you? Please take us to your master. And so they sheepishly went back, you know. Could you imagine? You'd feel defeated. I couldn't do this. It's like sometimes when Mel wants to open a jar and it's like, love, give it to me. I'll help. No, no, I'll do it. Let me open the jar. No, 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 I'll do it. And then later she goes, all right, here. Sheepishly coming back, you open it. The truth is it's usually the other way around and it's with a bottle of Coke. But uh, I, can just, I can never open those suckers. It's just too tight. We put ourselves in a position where we can be shamed and ridiculed. Faith without works looks like silver and gold have I none. Acts 3. But what I've got, I'll give you. Why don't you get up and walk? And the guy jumps up. Yeah? They put themselves in a position where how many people have prayed for others and not seen a healing? Put up your hand. How many people, when you go to pray for people, have that thought in the back of your head? Five of us? No, I'm glad you don't. I do. Because sometimes living this life, you've got to put yourself in a position where you're going to be ridiculed and shamed. And the enemy will have a go at every turn. Every time you try to do something for him, he's going to have a go. Every time you get a word and you think, I've got a word for Mal, I've got a word for Trevor, I've got a word for someone, the devil will say, that's just your thoughts. So shame and ridicule and all those things start to come against you. What happens if I got the word wrong? 
I tell a story of a friend of mine who's a pastor in Wollongong and he's been a pastor there for about 17 years now but he was moving in the prophetic for the first time in his life and he was at some conference, have no idea what it was and he starts speaking over a particular girl, gets her to stand up and he shares and speaks over her life and says, look, you've been through a lot in your family, there's stuff going on at home but God wants to say this, God wants to say that, he wants to build you up, he's going to restore things, do all that. So it was a great little worship time. Anyway, the person sitting next to him goes, "Um, that was the pastor's daughter. You know, sometimes you might get it wrong. Now, maybe he got it right, but the point is, you've got to put yourself out there. If you're going, now that we've received baby Jesus and we're living a vulnerable life with God and with each other, now we have to live a vulnerable life of faith. And that means stepping out in faith. That means stepping out of the boat. It means sinking occasionally. It means stuffing it up occasionally. It means occasionally God gets so glorified that it's undeniable that there's a living God, yeah? It's a place where we meet Jesus and his name's glorified. It's a place where those around us discover the King of kings and the Lord of lords, yeah? It's a place where signs and miracles happen. It's a place where our faith will be challenged. It's a place of vulnerability. Why don't we stand? question is, will we be vulnerable to grow in intimacy with God? Are you prepared to be vulnerable with Him? Are you prepared to be vulnerable with one another, to grow in intimacy and intimate relationship with each other? And will we be vulnerable so that as we step out in faith, others will discover the living God? In the same way that Jesus had to face and endure shame, it's the same way that he made himself vulnerable by heading to the cross. We need to do the same. We need to pick up our cross daily, you know, and we need to share stuff. People need to learn about my four years at St. Joseph, South Melbourne, you know. I look back now and because I've dealt with it with God and it's okay, but not knowing that, people don't understand why I react in particular ways. It's important for us to be vulnerable with each other. You know, Mel and I have chatted many times about different things in her life and my life. You know, I've been married before, most of you know that. Working through that, being vulnerable in those areas. And it hurts, and some of it's shameful, but God does a work. And what he does in, in our relationship, he brings us together. And that's what we want to do with each other, amen? Can I have the worship team up? Would that be all right, Ben? And Danny, and the rest... See, Tim Keller also says there's no way to have a real relationship without becoming vulnerable to hurt. There's no way to have a real relationship without becoming vulnerable to hurt. In fact, you're going to love this. Who likes C.S. Lewis? Yeah, brilliant, yeah? Get this as a quote. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. Yeah? Love anything. That's God. That's people. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable and irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. What a brilliant quote. See, for us, what the enemy uses to stop us, God uses to propel us. He's looking for a vulnerable people, an authentic people, to engage with him and to engage with each other. I want us to sing through this song, And I want to open the altar because I think there needs to be a shift in some of our thinking and in some of our hearts. Trevor said a couple of weeks ago, or it might have been last week at one of the baptisms, he said, when we draw the line in the sand, it's not a line to say, I'm not going past that. It's a line in the sand that's behind us and we're saying we're never going to cross over that line again. Some of us need to draw that line in the sand 
when it comes to our own vulnerability with God and each other. And we need to be able to say, God, I want to be vulnerable in this place. I want to be the man and woman of God that you destined for me to be. I want to be all that I can be in you. I'm going to draw the line in the sand in this place and I'm going to step forward at a place where I'm going to feel fragile and I'm going to feel breakable. I'm going to step forward at a place where I'm going to feel vulnerable like baby Jesus. I'm going to step forward from that line to a place where I'm going to place my faith on the cross. I'm going to step out and share words and pray. I'm going to speak to people. I'm going to do everything that I can, even if it looks like I'm going to fail and it's going to hurt, because I know the glory is on the other side of the cross. The glory is on that side of the line, not the other side, yeah? So while we worship, if you need to draw that line in the sand for your life, your heart, your walk, then the altar's open, amen? So much. 